Hello and welcome to Potter Not, a podcast for those with conflicted Harry Potter feelings and those who have absorbed Harry Potter through cultural osmosis and want to dive into the good and the bad. I am Zoe, she, her, a jaded fan. I'm Adela, she, her, a fan in recovery. And I am E, my pronouns are she, they, and I'm a fledgling fan. Hey, so we finished a book. We did. Yeah, we finished, we finished another our book. second book. Um, once again, I will start this off by texting you a picture from one of these uh, chapter headings. Actually, let me decide which is the best one. Of the three chapters that we read, which were uh, The Chamber of Secrets, The Heir of Slytherin, and Dobby's Reward, um, I think actually The Chamber of Secrets. There we go. Um, it's a giant snakeskin. Uh, with three tiny little figures in the background. Um, and you can see... Ooh. Uh, it's just, it's very evocative yeah. for the final chapters like in a way that I particularly enjoy. Um, I like the very flat snake head that's sort of like crunched yes. under everything. Mm-hmm. So we'll put that in the tweet um, when we post this episode. But E, what did you think <laughs> of the end of this book? Okay, so I, I have, there are two wolves inside of me. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. I love One to have is, two wolves. Oh my gosh, I didn't expect any of that. Okay. And the other is, that sure was a lot of lore explaining for the finale of a book. Mm-hmm. Mm. You had the same reaction with book one. Did I? <laughs> that, was, that was 18 years ago. I, it was. <laughs> um, because remember at the end of book one, Dumbledore is like sitting with Harry. Oh, in- Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the hospital wing, and like Harry gets to ask all these questions, and Dumbledore is like, "Here is some background that yeah. you should I feel know." Like this one is even more. Like the last this few chapters is... are just yeah. So, so like aside from the fight between Harry and the Basilisk, and you know Tom Riddle and Fox are there. Like aside from that scene, almost all of the chapters that we read are just the author working in bits of explanation. We talked a couple of times in the past two sections. So basically for the past six chapters, we were like, a lot happened, but also not a lot happened. Yeah. The same is true for these three chapters where like a lot happened, but not a lot happened. And very quickly. Yeah, it's... Goldie does love his villain monologues. Yeah. Yeah, He, wow, no fucking kidding. (laughs) My God. (laughs) So I guess I will, you know, I will, I will say I was uh, completely surprised about the whole Ginny and the diary thing. I had not put that together. Yeah. I was surprised, but shouldn't have been surprised that the thing was a basilisk. The, the combination of can petrify and must be snake. a snake. <laughs> um, yeah. Sense. I think basilisks are not a creature that i am as familiar with from like i definitely learned about them from harry potter so yeah yeah same you weren't that far off with medusa i mean it's like similar feel right yeah yeah like she tries to drop clues throughout the book by mentioning offhand that like the roosters are getting strangled that's like the time that hagrid bursts into dumbledore's office earlier in the book and he's holding two dead roosters the and fact spiders. that the spiders are all fleeing and Aragog says that it was a creature that spiders fear most of all. But, like, you have to have such a good handle on your mythology to catch on to that. Yeah. Um, and obviously I did I did know that Tom Riddle was going to anagram. <laughs> <laughs> so that was not a surprise. It's also still kind of wished that it had been. Yeah. For the the dramatic effect, I think part of my 
um, feeling of letdown with these chapters is is partly because I knew that, so I that wasn't there for me to be surprised by. Yeah. Did you find it corny, or were you still sort of like wrapped up in the? Um, I think if I had been twelve. Or, you know, in, in middle or high school when I was reading this, I would have been wrapped up in it. Mm-hmm. But as an adult, I just find it corny. Yeah. I think I found it corny even as a kid because it it's not a direct anagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't as a kid. Now I think it's hilarious. Um, yeah. That, that fact is hilarious. The fact that she had to shoehorn in two extra words to make Yeah, the I am. Word. I think I as a kid, I was frustrated with the anagram and I wished that Instead of spelling out his name, he just said the words, Voldemort is my past, my present, and my future. Like, Because that's a good line. It's that a great a line. line. Yeah, there is some, there is, I will, I will give credit where credit is due. There is some good evocative writing. Yes. In, across these three chapters. Not yes. just in the, in, the, in the chamber, but. Yeah, anagrams are, are corny anyway. I wonder if there are, um languages other languages other translations yes there are where oh it is the french one is less, really good less cornily oh no they're more corny um, <laughs> lord voldemort french anagram i think is the really good one yes yeah i think, I think you're right <laughs> they have to change his middle name from marvolo to elvis <laughs> um in french riddle's full name becomes tom elvis je du sol which forms an anagram for Je suis Voldemort. I was wondering if it was so, Je suis in there. They've become more corny, not less. <laughs> also, Adela, do you think that affects the future of the French translation? Tom Elvis, Je du Sor? Oh, yes. A part yes. of the French translation? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I didn't think about that until just now. Great. Eyes okay. emoji. Well, that's something to note for later. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, hello, audience. If any of you are reading the French edition and you know what we're talking about, please comment to us. <laughs> if you know us on Discord, you can at me at Zoe9400 or come to our Tumblr at Potternot and tell us if this thing that we are talking about is true in books <laughs> six and seven. Yeah. Um, I am now deeply curious. <laughs> uh, I have the first three books in French, but not the rest of them yet. I oh, damn. Know. I can't wait to know what this is about. <laughs> I like never thought about. I've I've known that fact yeah. for so many years, and I never thought about that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, should we go into uh, more details of chapters? Yeah. yeah. Let me see if there's anything. There was uh, two other big reveals: the Lockhart reveal and the Dobby reveal. Oh yes, I was I was pleasantly surprised at the role that Lockhart plays in the, yeah <laughs> in the climax of this book. I I think that is very funny. And a heads up for the readers, we are going to be reading the Pottermore slash Wizarding World page on Lockhart, which I think is actually a really well-written page. So we'll get to him more in general. But I did remember really enjoying the whole Lockhart situation at the end of this novel. I want to give a shout out to, in the first chapter of these three, the Chamber of Secrets, when Harry and Ron are caught trying to go into Myrtle's bathroom and end up yeah. going up to the hospital wing. Um, the way that J.K.R. writes that encounter straight from McGonagall's like croaky voiced, teary eyed, yeah. mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like, yes, you can go visit her through to where 
Harry is putting all of the pieces together very quickly. I think that those like like three or four pages are really beautifully written and go through an incredibly good range of emotions from McGonagall and like Harry and Ron just like sitting and staring at Hermione and like not knowing how to feel. And then the excitement of solving the yeah. mystery. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that they're just like finishing each other's sentences and like getting really excited. It's, it's actually really well written. Yeah. These are a really good, like a really good pair of scenes there. Yeah, I think Harry's paragraph here, I won't read the whole thing, but it's uh, 291 in the American edition. Uh, the basilisk kills people by looking at them, but no one's died because no one's looked it straight in the eye. Colin saw it through his camera. The basilisk burned up the film inside of it. And he goes through, Justin looked through a nearly headless Nick, Hermione and Penelope had the mirror. <laughs> I like this. I bet you anything she warned the first person she met to look around corners with a mirror first. And that girl pulled out her mirror and... Ron's jaw had dropped. And Mrs. Norris? He whispered eagerly. <laughs> Harry thought hard, picturing the scene on the night of Halloween. The water, he said slowly. The flood from Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. Yeah. Like, just, this is how 12-year-olds sort of, like... Yes. It is very tangible in that everything clicks into place kind of way. Yeah. And the sort of the excitement, the back and forth. I think that the, the little exchange of scenes from them getting caught by Professor McGonagall to when Harry says, let's go to the staff room. Mm -hmm. I love it's like, all of the chance encounters that lead to like, in all of the books that lead to like yeah. solving the mystery. Like in this yeah. case, they weren't planning to go up and see Hermione, but they did because Professor McGonagall caught them by accident. Right. And that's the only reason why they found out. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, it reminds me of when you're a kid and you're reading a really a really well-written like kids mystery book yes mm -hmm. and and the book is written in a way that the reader at that age can put together the pieces at the same time or a little bit before the characters in the book so you've got that bit of like you've got that spark of like oh i'm getting it i'm getting it a couple scenes later 295 in the american edition it was probably the worst day of harry's entire life uh i just want to shout out that it's like just two short paragraphs but I think that, again, JKR really hits on sort of the emotional weight of losing Ginny. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that that, like, moment with the Weasleys and the fact that Fred and George just, like, fucking, like, that's it. I'm, I just need to go into bed. We're just going to bed. Like, I think that she hits on that weight really easily. I think the rest of the sections are a little less well-written than those two moments. But those two moments leapt out at me at this rereading. So I wanted to shout them out. When we get to the moating myrtle scene, yeah, I I was reading. <laughs> I was starting to say this to E, and then we started. But um, when when I was reading it this time, it reminded me that when I was a kid, I had a moaning myrtle impression <laughs> that I did of this exact paragraph where she's talking about her death before or after the movie. Um, I think it was after the movie because it has part of it has like sort of an attempt at her accent in the movie. Oh my god, that's amazing! Try it. I can try it. I don't think it's in my mind. It was so good when I was a kid, and now I'm like, I don't know if it's still good, but I'm gonna try. It. I'll try anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was dreadful. It happened right in here. I died in this very cubicle. Remember it so well. I'd hidden because all of Hornby was teasing me about my glosses. 
the door was locked and I was crying and then I heard somebody come in. They said something funny, a different language, I think it must have been. Anyway, what really got me was that it was a boy speaking, so I unlocked the door to tell him to go and use his own toilet and then I died. That was good. <laughs> that was really bad. That was not... I mean, it wasn't a good impression of the actor, but it was a good moaning Myrtle. I just remember seeing a pair of great big yellow eyes. <laughs> anyway, I like that Harry and Ron are like, we're just going to force this teacher to be our chaperone, even though we know he's not going to do a good job. We're like, we need an adult, so we're going to force him to come with us. I just, I, that was a part that always frustrated me when I was a kid. Um, they don't need Lockhart. No. And like in the first book, they're so determined to do this on their own. And then in this book, they're like, oh, we need a teacher. That always kind of struck me as odd. Should we talk about the big, the big battle? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that fight scene is written well. Yeah. I do too. I was a little disappointed that Ron and Lockhart got locked out. Yeah. Of that scene. I think I would have been more interested in the version where that confrontation happens in front of Ron and Lockhart. At least Ron. At least Ron, yeah. I mean, Lockhart's a, a puddle of jelly by then, anyways. True. Um, <laughs> I think it's really interesting that Ron never seems to make it to the final battle. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. First book. He's knocked out. In second book, he's stuck with Lockhart. There's a thing that happens in the third book as well. Third book? Yeah. Yep. Um, True. So, like, for the first three books, there's, like, this whole gap where I sort of wish that Ron had been able to see what's happening. Like, obviously, Hermione couldn't be there. Yeah. And I think that this is, like, J.K.R.'s way of being, like, well, Ron was there and Hermione wasn't. It's the opposite of the last book. But that's not what happens. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess it sort of is, right? Because in the same way that Hermione goes back after the potions riddle, Ron goes back. Yeah, I guess it sort of is. Yeah, so but... it still ends with it being Harry on his own. Harry on his own, face-to-face with Voldemort, as per usual. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think the fight is written well, but I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I really like their confrontation with Lockhart. I really like the fact that Lockhart gets obliviated. Um, I like Harry's sort of command of tongue coming out. But the actual battle where Harry, like, can't pick up on the signs that Tom is not a good person. Yeah, it did surprise me how long well, it took he's Harry so focused to... on, like, Ginny yeah. being potentially dead that he's not feeling like, who is this pretty much stranger? Yeah, and he like, thinks that Tom is a good person. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, like, he doesn't pick up on it fast enough. Which surprised me, because Harry already knows that the Hagrid thing was nonsense. Mm -hmm. He just thought that Tom was mistaken. And, like, how did he think that Tom got down here? Like, there's just... Well, Tom did say right away he was preserved in the diary. He was a memory preserved in the diary. That's true. But it's just, like, when Harry's, like, holding out his hand for the wand, and that Mm -hmm. thing... I mean, from a, from a doyless point of view, it's just that Tom needs to get out the whole monologue before <laughs> Harry. Yes, it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I because know. there's a lot of information that this monologue has to get out. 
to put all the pieces together. I'm going to time for Zoe's unpopular opinion about book two. Um, I don't like Fox in this. Mm. That's the end of that sentence. The whole thing? <laughs> I just don't like Fox in this. I think that Fox serves an important purpose, but also <laughs> it's a deus ex machina that I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah. Mm, fair. It's like the car earlier. Where it's like, yeah. All right. I guess you needed this. And it's one of those things where like, it would have been maybe more interesting to have the hat transport itself or have Harry like accidentally summon the hat than for Fox to just like bring it and gouge out the eyes. And I think that the movie actually does a good job of elongating the fight in an interesting way. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I was surprised at how like I read this a million times, but it felt like the fight went by so fast. Yeah. And like the actual play by play of it is written well because she's good at play by play, but I'm not sure that the content of the fight is particularly interesting. And the movie one of the few good things in the first two movies makes this fight a lot more interesting. Yeah, it definitely feels narratively clunky, despite how well it's written in the moment. I think the Fox thing, I agree with the Deus Ex Machina thing, but um, it's like the whole setting up that the loyalty that Harry has for Dumbledore. Mm -hmm. And because Dumbledore says earlier in the book, um, like, Hogwarts will never be... Uh, yeah, I will never truly be gone. As long as the, those remain who are loyal to yeah. me. Um, and that's why Fox comes, is because Harry says that Dumbledore is cooler than Voldemort. <laughs> that's that's really what he says, isn't it, too? Basically. Yeah, literally. Um, I think the thing that I don't like the most is um, the Phoenix Tears. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's just, like... Yeah, it could have just... He could have just not gotten stabbed <laughs> or he could have gotten it and then gone to the hospital wing or something. But I guess he would yeah, have died like before then. he could then. have gotten a non-mortal injury. Yeah. I don't even know how to rewrite that so that the fang still falls out. Or maybe he just like yeah. reaches into the mouth of the basilisk and pulls out a fang and stabs the diary. I just... I feel... Well, hmm. Too many, too much spoiler territory. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I feel like if he hadn't pulled it, if he hadn't had the fang, he would have stabbed it with the sword. But, but that's still like he wouldn't have just grabbed a fang yeah. for no reason. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Spoiler territory. Um, but... <laughs> yeah, that would have had a different consequence while also having yeah. the same consequence. Yeah. E, are you enjoying <laughs> all of these subtle hints? <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. I love it. I will say. I guess moving past this scene yeah. a bit, I really like that Mr. and Mrs. Weasley are there yeah. for the final like reunion. Like I think that is a very good decision on the writer's part. There are many scenes throughout the books of the Weasleys responding to emergencies with their family members, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and they're like scenes of them being there for the reunion whenever there's something that happens it's good and i think it's always like it's always good like slightly before that when harry brings jenny back to ron um i always sort of really enjoyed yes. how desperate ron is to get mm -hmm. jenny back and this is something that i think you see across later books is that ron and jenny are not the closest necessarily i think jenny's closer with fred and george um mm -hmm. until they're the closest 
And I think that that's like, you see a little bit of a switch flip at some point where I think that they are so close as like the youngest siblings. Um, And I like sort of seeing that here. Yeah. Especially because anytime you hear from Ron in the first and second book, it's him complaining about Ginny. Yeah. If Ron is ever talking about Ginny, it's complaining. Yeah. So. Yeah. And Ginny sort of becomes a human after this rather than. Yeah. Yeah. Which I am looking forward to very much. I think makes sense the way that it's written that way, because it's like, like Harry and Ron are best friends. And if Ginny is Harry's best friend's little sister, like there's no reason why he would care. Yeah. (laughs) Really that much about her until something happens like this. Yeah. Yeah. And like becoming a human, it's discussed later also sort of why she becomes more of a character um, in, in text rather than uh, the Doyle's perspective. Um, and we have yes. a listener yeah. who is a big, big fan of Ginny. We see you. And <laughs> there will be more Ginny discussion later. There are many Ginny fans. I'm a big fan of Ginny myself. Yes. She definitely feels like, especially now knowing the ending of the book, like she was just sort of a prop for this book. Yeah, 100%. To, to further the plot. Yeah, and like she was the 12-year-old lovesick teenage girl stereotype in order for the plot to work. Should we move on to Dobby's reward? I just want to give a shout out to uh, Adela. You had mentioned this. Uh, they come out of the sink. <laughs> the oh, hole. yes. Um, um, one second. Let me find. Yeah. Where is that? Uh, uh, it's page 325 forget. in the American edition. Um, I'll read just the section just before what you'll read. So the chill air was whooping through Harry's hair. And before he'd stopped enjoying the ride, it was over. All four of them were hitting the wet floor of morning, Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. And as Lockhart straightened his hat, the sink that hid the pipe was sliding back into place. Myrtle goggled at them. I'm not going to do the voice. (laughs) (laughs) You're alive, she said blankly to Harry. There's no need to sound so disappointed, he said grimly, wiping flecks of blood and slime off his glasses. Oh, well, I've just been thinking, if if you had died, you'd have been welcome to share my toilet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's very good. Um, yeah, Dobby, were you surprised? That's fine. I mean, yeah, but it's... You whatever. seem very like, underwhelmed I... by the end of this book. I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I was, I don't know what I was expecting the end of this book to be, but it just feels like a lot of explanation. Mm. And even, it's even written like that, right? Like, Harry talks for how long? Um, 15, minutes. 15 straight minutes and then and that's just the lead up and then so Harry his voice now growing hoarse from all the top talking talks for like another 20 minutes I just okay I like this scene I don't know why Malfoy is here Lucius Malfoy it's so that we yeah, can find out like, about Dobby <laughs> exactly like I don't know he's here because Dumbledore is back and he's mad about it I wish that it that this had ended with the Gryffindor sword Mm. Mm. like i wish that the malfoy dobby thing had happened later like i guess dobby the whole dobby thing was in this book so it makes sense but i wish it was earlier or like i don't i think having the sequence of like the reason why dobby gets the sock is because harry gives lucius malfoy the diary back which he does because he has the diary with dumbledore in that room so i don't know how it would happen otherwise. Also, plot hole, yeah. because Dumbledore has the diary later. Oh, hmm. true. <laughs> Maybe Lucius sent it back. <laughs> it's 
it's it's kind of an underwhelming ending. There's also a lot that happens after the battle. Like many things keep happening. Yeah. Exams are canceled. <laughs> now that the school is safe, even though when the school was not safe, we were still going to do exams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just and also like this is a small complaint from me. Ginny seems fine. Mm. Yeah. Like please send this I mean, child to therapy. Really, but yeah. yeah. Nobody ever gets therapy in these books. Nobody yeah. ever gets therapy in these books. I mean, books. nobody ever gets therapy in most kids' fantasy books, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which they usually need it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the um, book's not my favorite. <laughs> I, I feel like the book would have been just as good, if not a little better, if some of that lore plot explanation stuff had been sprinkled back into the previous chapters mm. and not dumped all at once it feels very british tv writer who shall not be named <laughs> making convoluted plots just for the sake of convolutedness yeah it does and it also feels it feels rushed yeah oh, yeah that's the thing that i definitely noticed this time more than before so how rushed the ending is i feel like that's the case with um, the first two, the first few books, like the ending is a lot shorter than it is in my mind. Yeah. But I feel like later the ending has more, it's yeah. drawn out a bit more. It has more content. And I do think that there's like, there's more that happens in the end of the third book as part of the wind down that doesn't happen in the first two. And all the books after that, yeah. I would say. I think the first two are really very different from all of the others. It's a, it's a bummer. Cause I was I'd, like, I, sure you'll both remember i was really positive on this book. yeah mm -hmm. like earlier on because i really liked the themes that it was dealing with with like family and bloodlines and it feels like that that thematic stuff wasn't tied off yeah mm. nicely no like we don't even see draco again or anything no you see him very briefly in the feast and that's it but i think that one of the reasons that this book doesn't thematically tie off in the way that the first one does is because what Adela and I keep saying is like this book is the precursor to the last three chapters of book five, all of six and all of seven. Yeah. Mm. And so a lot of this has to be left sort of open. That's like the sort of content that because we talk about how the books grow, like the reading level and the like content, like the maturity level of the content grows as you go through the books and like that stuff that you learn in book, the end of book five, six and seven, couldn't be put in book two at the way that the book two is written. Like it wouldn't. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense, but also like maybe there's a better way to do it. And I will say that there is a better way to do it because, okay, I'll just go back to book one at the, for just a moment. And I'm trying not to, I'm trying to phrase this in a way that won't spoil things. Um, Harry asks why, <laughs> I was about to do a Passover reference, Harry asks why he, of all of the other boys, is different. Um, <laughs> and Dumbledore says, like, I can't tell you the answer, but it has to do with your mother dying for you. Um, and Harry sort of parrots that back at Tom in this book. But the answer that Dumbledore gives is enough for Harry in that moment. Yes. And that's not what happens here. So if it's enough for right. Harry in that moment, it generally is enough for the audience in that moment. And you don't get that mm -hmm. sense of even partial closure in this book in the way that you do in the first. Yeah. I do like the other most quoted line from Albus Dumbledore on page 245 of the British edition. 
it is our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's definitely a moment. I, it's a moment that I have a lot of, well, we'll get to Dumbledore later in the series. It's what oh, yeah. I'll say. <laughs> we'll just leave that there. Uh-huh. Yep. I mean, we have to talk to, about him a little bit in a second Pottermore pages because I have things to say, but. Let's go ahead and, and go to the Pottermore pages. Um, yeah. For those of you who are following along, we went ahead and we read uh, Gilderoy Lockhart and Chamber of Secrets. Um, neither of which are mm-hmm. super long, but both of which are pretty thick with interesting stuff. I would say the Lockhart page has a lot more interesting stuff than the Chamber of yeah. page, but only because most of the Chamber of Secrets stuff you already kind of know. Yeah. The Lockhart page I found really well done and interesting, actually. Like, it's a well-written encyclopedia entry, basically. Yes, it's a well-written encyclopedia entry, and it's so much better than the McGonagall page. Yeah. Like, thinking back to the McGonagall page, which was so much about her love life and all of that. Yeah, that's true. This is very much, look at the reason why he is who he is. Yeah. I loved this line. Lockhart told anyone who would listen that he would succeed in making a philosopher's stone before leaving school, and that he intended to captain English's England's Quidditch team to World Cup glory before knuckling down to become Britain's youngest prime minister for magic. We all know this person in school, right? Uh Um, I want to read also the last paragraph of his school section. Yeah. Before you get to that, I just want to shout out the fact that he's a Ravenclaw. And this is one of the few times that you get an expansion on who Ravenclaws can be. Um, Yeah. You meet another version of Ravenclaw in Luna Lovegood, which I'm sure is a name that you recognize, E. Yep. But... This is really the first time. And I think when I read the book, I assumed he was a Hufflepuff. Yeah, I think I did too. But he's not. He's I a Ravenclaw. I assumed he'd come from Gryffindor. Mm. That would also make yeah. sense. But he's not. He's a Ravenclaw. And in sort of the way that houses don't get enough expansion and in the way that the fandom has given expansion to the houses, the smart but lazy student, which is who Lockhart is, Mm-hmm. is an important addition to sort of the bigger picture of Ravenclaw. I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would call him smart but lazy. I think the page calls him smart but lazy. Yeah, I guess the impression I got is that he was like the smart kid in high school who goes to college and then finds out that everyone at college he's, is smart. Yeah, he's like not the only smart kid there. He was working hard on his own image. Yeah. If not yeah. at school. His teachers felt that he was above average intelligence and ability and that with hard work, he might make something of himself, even if he fell short of the ambitions he shared freely with his classmates. And he did, he did work hard and make something of himself. Yeah, he just didn't do... Yeah. Way, yeah. If he was not first and best, he would rather not participate at all. I think that that's a mood. very big Ravenclaw mood. Mm. Like in some aspects of Ravenclaw, mm-hmm. like that uh, perfectionist mm-hmm. aspect. Yeah. Um, uh, Adela, you wanted to talk about the... I just want to read the last paragraph of the... Do it. It's um, great. Not very popular. He never th- nevertheless achieved his primary goal of school-wide recognition through repeated attention-seeking exploits. He received a week's worth of detentions for magically carving his signature in 20-foot-long letters into the Quidditch pitch. He managed to create a massive illuminated projection of his own face, which he would send skywards in Im- imitation of the dark mark. He sent himself 800 Valentine's cards year which caused such a pile up of owls in the great hall breakfast had to be abandoned far too many feathers and droppings in the porridge it's so good he's always loved valentine's day apparently also can you imagine being snape and living uh-huh. through these and then having him like this is emphasizing the points that we were talking about earlier uh, this is what snape what had to asshole. live through and then and then had to teach and then had to work with 
<laughs> I do think it is funny going back to the chapters for a moment that all of the yes. faculty just like stop pretending not to be completely yeah. mm-hmm. fed up. It's with very Lockhart. good. It's yeah. <laughs> McGonagall, now that we've got him out of our under out from under our feet, like, oh Jesus. Ugh. I always love the moments throughout the books when the when the teachers are like going against the rules or like doing things unprofessionally. Mm-hmm. I always enjoy mm-hmm. that. It's good. It's really good. I also I enjoy the fact that in the moment where she says that he left Hogwarts, it was to a faint sigh of relief from the staff. <laughs> Do we want to talk about his post-Hogwarts career section at all? I think that's pretty much covered in the books. Yeah. The thing with the return to Hogwarts that I have feelings about is why Dumbledore chose to invite Lockhart back. Yeah, He knows that Lockhart is going to be a terrible teacher. So this is Dumbledore putting his own, like, not even important, like, goals ahead of his actual job, which is having a good school, like, running a good school. <laughs> Where yeah. he's like, okay, yeah. if I bring this guy back, I can expose him for who he actually is. And it doesn't matter that he's just, like, teaching them all nonsense the whole time. The excuse he gives to McGonagall, Dumbledore gives to McGonagall, is you can learn from a bad teacher what not to do. It's like, (laughs) yeah, but you can learn more from a good teacher. Yeah, Yeah. and the other thing that this points to is just Albus Dumbledore's plans in general and how he always has another thing going and just the, the, Mm -hmm. the manipulativeness of his every action was the thing that stood out to me a lot in this section of the page absolutely i also feel like this is a retcon (laughs) yeah i mean that's what pottermore is isn't it pottermore the giant retcon no i feel like dumbledore so clearly just couldn't get anybody else for the Mm -hmm. job that this feels like it's a retcon for dumbledore (laughs) <laughs> yeah but it also feels like accurate to Dumbledore's character as he hires somebody shitty and he's like but they can learn from that and he's like okay fuck off Dumbledore that's not <laughs> yeah like oh yes I had a plan yeah all along. I had a plan all along is definitely who Dumbledore is <laughs> I mean he usually does have a plan all along but <laughs> yeah yeah and then we do get an excerpt about how JKR and again with the name. this is good um I really like it yeah, uh, well-known Scottish surname of yeah. Lockhart, uh, looking for a glamorous, dashing sort of surname, and saw the n- name on a war memorial, and was looking through dictionary fa- phrase and fable. By the way, highly recommend that dictionary, and found Gilderoy, who was a highwayman uh, and a good-looking rogue, and like perfect, great, yeah. fantastic. That and totally that just works. Put those I two words it. together, and they sound yep. so good. This is excerpted from an interview, and she says, "Impressive, and yet in the middle, quite yeah. hollow." Of Which, course. yeah, absolutely. Like. Yeah. So I, I appreciated that. Um, should we talk about the Chamber of Secrets page? Yeah. In which we find out that Slytherin is even more problematic uh-huh. uh, because he raised a giant basilisk in the school oh, and left it there. Yeah. And also j- built a massive statue of himself. <laughs> I didn't realize that the I, he put the snake in like as he was leaving. It wasn't there the whole time. Yeah. It was there because so that it could guard it while he was when he got kicked out. Also that he built the Chamber of Secrets so that he could teach dark arts to select students yeah 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 it's gross. it's definitely gross um I, hey guess what's on this page it's the famous shitting on the floor <laughs> <laughs> it's the piss um e thing. would you like to read that sentence oh i would love to 
However, when Hogwarts plumbing became more elaborate in the 18th century, parentheses, this was a rare instance of wizards copying muggles, because hitherto, they simply relieved themselves wherever they stood and vanished the evidence. Like, wh- no. What? <laughs> no. You're you still humans. <laughs> They're no, still people. Don't... This is not what... Just, d- I... Uh... You're telling me they didn't at least have a fucking outhouse? Yeah. Or like a garderobe? <laughs> a chamber pot? Like, fuck off, JKR. <laughs> also, the plumbing became more elaborate, implying that there was plumbing. Uh-huh. Just remove that parenthetical statement and stick it back inside your brain <laughs> and never speak of Please. it again. No. <laughs> um, there is a small spoiler, but I've already mentioned that the fact that the, the gaunts are the heirs to Slytherin. I, I mentioned that a couple of episodes ago, so that's not huge spoiler. Yeah, you, you, knowing a name doesn't mean anything, so. really. Oh, yeah. One thing that I forgot to mention when we were going through the chapters, I was a little bit disappointed that Harry's parcel tongue is only because mm. of Voldemort's scar. I was hoping... Yeah, yeah that, that is something that I'd like to come back to at the yes, very end of the it'll series. it'll be explored more. Um, also because I have a question about it at the very end of the series. Okay. In fact, the fandom has a question about it at the very end of the series. Cool. <laughs> so that's, yeah, don't lose track of that. Yeah. Well, that's the end of book two. Yeah. Um, so that you can get a sneak peek into how we do things. The tentative title that I have written down for this episode is impressive and yet in the middle. Quite <laughs> oh, that's um, so good. <laughs> Perfect. Because this is, that's how I feel yeah, about this book. And I guess it's time for me to talk a little it. bit about why I don't like this book, but I think that honestly, in her own words, in describing Lockhart is how I feel about this book, which is, it is an impressive story because it sets so much up, but it's not an interesting one. And it's not a perfectly well-written one. And it doesn't set things up that pays off soon Mm -hmm. enough. So it just feels like Mm -hmm. preamble to nothing. Yeah, this whole book is setting up like the last two books. And you have so much to go yeah, until yeah. then that this doesn't feel good, which is frustrating to me. Yeah. It's not as if there's like a few bits sprinkled around that you'll pick up and Yeah. It's like the whole the whole ending of this book. Like I don't even know what it's yeah. preambling to exactly. Two very large books and another short book before that. Honestly, I think this stuff will be in your brain when you get to book six. But it's been so long since I've reread the entire series, sitting down start to finish, that going back and reading them slowly, this was the first time I realized how much this book Mm -hmm. set up. Yeah. And so you don't even really realize it, which I think is also part of the problem. Like if you were reading book five and six and seven, like the end of five and then all of six and seven, and you were like, I remember learning Mm -hmm. that, that would feel different, but it doesn't even feel like payoff. I feel like I did notice mm-hmm. i think i feel like i did pick up on that stuff when i a few of my rereads have been book one to seven straight through some of my rereads have been in random orders and or backwards order yeah so i definitely i have noticed but i think this time i definitely noticed more or like just acknowledged it more in yeah. my brain rather yeah. than just like in passing i'm interested to see if by the time we get to book five six at this pace which might be <laughs> you know 17 years from now um if i'll remember yeah. anything <laughs> i think there are a few things that are re-emphasized in 
end of four, beginning of five, end of five, mm-hmm. that come back just enough that you probably won't forget the things that happened here, but I'm not sure that you're going to be like, oh yeah, I remember it was in book two. You're going to be like, I remember that it was earlier in the series. Yeah. I also am just not a huge fan of this book because I don't think it, mm, how do I phrase this without making myself sound like a weenie? I'll just sound like a weenie. It scared (laughs) me as a child, like really deeply. I was never a fan mm. of the sort of pseudo horror elements. Um, E.T. gave me yeah. nightmares. Oh. Like, I am not, I, I just, this is not the book for me. Rereading it points out that there's like a lot more pseudo horror elements than I like really there noticed is, yeah. before or realized. I have this very distinct memory of rereading book two. It's probably right when three came out or just after three came out. And I remember being really scared and like crawling through my bookshelves and trying to find something else to read before I fell asleep. And I remember doing the like yearly reread before the book came Mm -hmm. out. And I think it was like book four. And I remember sitting down to reread books one, two, and three and finishing book one and just dreading starting book two. Just completely uninterested and like not scared of it anymore because I knew what happened but just so uninterested in the story and the setup mm. and how it was written. And I think part of it is yeah. that Fox leaves such a bad taste in my mouth in the like total deus ex machina, saving Harry from the eyes, yeah. saving Harry with the tears, and then getting them all out of the pipe all at once, and then tons of exposition, and then bookend. This is, I was thinking about this earlier, and I forgot to say it. Um, the thing that this indicates is we know from JKR that she had the entire plot of the seven books in her head when she started writing the first book. And this book feels like I need to put this here to set up what I know is going to happen later rather than I need to write this story for what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like in some cases, in a lot of cases, I like that. I like that she had the whole plot set. Like she knew what was going to happen because a lot of things get set up. I like when things are set up, but I don't like when things are just set up. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This has never been one of my favorite books, so. I don't know. I'm still, I think if I were to reread this, I would still be positive on it. That's fair. Up to this point. I'm excited to read book three, which was my least favorite when I was a kid. And I know it's Zoe's one of Zoe's favorites. Right? Um, Book three, uh, let me quickly do the rankings in my head. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We talked about this way back at the beginning of the podcast. We were going to have e-rank the books (laughs) yeah this is probably gonna be a different ranking just because you know um but i think it is four three one five six seven two nice (laughs) wow i'm surprised the ending books are that low for yeah i think six and seven six i've never liked all that much it's important and there are pieces of it that i enjoy but it has never been my favorite it's probably seven six two Mm. mine is Five, seven, one, four, six, three, two. Wow. Yeah, no, mm. I really like three. I think four is wow. still my favorite, hands down, for so many reasons. Mm. I cannot wait till we get to book four. <laughs> I love it. Same with me and five. <laughs> it's such a departure. I like, I really like book five as well. Um, four is such a departure and three, the movie for three is such a departure. So I think it'll be interesting to to get into, I think, Adela and I have a chunk that's in the middle that's our favorite, whether (laughs) for her it's four and five, and for me it's three and four. Mm -hmm. So we're heading into the good stuff is what I'll say. 
Yay. I'm excited. Hey, everybody, please send us questions. Yeah, our next episode is going to be our whole book two wrap up. Yeah, and we did some of that this time with our feelings, but we'd love to, um, because this is such a contentious book, along with questions, please tell us whether or not this is one of your favorites, Mm -hmm. if it is or isn't, and why, along with your questions. Yeah, send us your opinions. Yeah, questions and opinions to our Twitter, at Potternot. And if they have any spoilers for later books, um, then please send them to our Tumblr, at Potternot. Oh, Adela, did you want to do a little Tumblr post? Oh, yeah, I forgot. (laughs) And we'll put this in the links as usual. This is a post that it's what I don't know. It's one of the like ones that has been circling in the fandom for a very long time. I feel like it's a very short post, just a little bit of fan art. It's just funny. (laughs) (laughs) This is the post that starts with a a person who is not probably in the Harry Potter fandom who just says book borrowing is the biggest form of true love. It's like, here's a piece of my soul that I think you would enjoy. And then someone added a piece of fan art that's just... (laughs) Voldemort holding the diary with this expression. I I don't know how to describe this expression on his face. And he's like holding it out to Ginny. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. great. And then it ends with slow clap for the Harry Potter yeah. fandom. It's it's just a good Tumblr. It's true. <laughs> it's a good it's a good one. The Harry so, Potter fandom yeah. often deserves a slow clap for things like this. Yes. Hey, E, what's the title of book three? Uh, this is true. <laughs> I was just holding it earlier as I got as I got book two out. It is. Shouldn't we save that bit for the end of the last episode? Oh, no, we're going to do the full quiz again. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, E, what's the title of book two? Um, <laughs> Who could say? Yeah, I think we can go ahead and say thank you all for listening. Uh, you can find me at Zoe Topaz on Twitter, Z-O-E-T-O-P-A-Z, or buy my book, Ostentatious, The Evolving World of Jane Austen Fans, wherever books are sold. You can find me on Twitter at Aredel, A-R-E-D-H-E-L underscore underscore. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at C-E-L-1-0-E. Uh, shout out to our theme music, which is by the wonderful Morgan Jackson. You can find more of his music at wedidthetimewarpagain.bandcamp.com. Please, please, yes. please send us questions for the book two wrap up. Um, so again, you can find us on Twitter at Potternot and on Tumblr at Potternot. Otherwise, you can DM me on Discord at Zoe ninety four hundred. All right, bye everybody. Thanks everybody. Stay safe. All right. Monsieur Craig. (laughs) We're not even at the French parts of the books yet. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Save that for book four. No kidding.